Hello and welcome back to another episode of this podcast on identity formation, integrating the self within the Adventist Church. Today we're joined by Pastor Gene, all the way over in Kenya. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, no. hello, hello. <laughs> and it's been quite the the time. I know that at first we found a time, and then you went on a vinification, and then we found another time, but then I got sick. We found another time, and then you had a power outage. <laughs> so finally, we're here. It has been a journey. It has <laughs> been a journey to get us together. So I pray that our time will be will be productive and informative for everyone listening. Yes, I'm very excited to hear your story and hear more about your calling to becoming a pastor. You had been sharing that it was, you know, a difficult time both in terms of having to do, you did a bunch of your training in the States, so this back and forth. And then w- what brought you to being a pastor, I think is the first question, because being a female pastor in an African country can be difficult. So wh- wh- <laughs> how did you even decide that this was a pathway to go? <laughs> first of all, I had no part in that decision. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like to say that I was minding my own business and then God decided to mind my business for me. <laughs> um, Cause I was, I was, I pastoring was never in my, in my um, periphery. I never even, I never even considered that I could be a pastor. I growing up, I never ever saw pastors. We never even saw female elders, um, the most that I ever saw women at the pulpit was when there was reading scripture. And even, and and actually, it was not even scripture. It was when they were announcing the opening song. Oh, wow. Right? Um, because the, the scripture reading is something that has recently come in. But I never, I never saw women at the pulpit, very rarely. Um, And so when I started to sense that that was the direction God was calling me to, it took me, it took me a a long while. It took me about three, three years before I finally surrendered and said, okay, God, you know, do what you will with me because um, I, I was not, I was not feeling it. I was, I was not feeling it. I had never seen it. I had nightmares about it. Um, wow. yes, because as far as I was concerned, God was literally throwing me into a lion's den. And, um, as far as I was concerned at that point in time, um, Daniel was a man, so he could have gone head to head with the lions. <laughs> Uh, I was just me. I could barely make it two seconds in there. Um, but God um, continually um, continually proved to me and affirmed to me that that was his call. Because I gave him, I gave God some really strict um, things that he needed to accomplish before, before I agreed. And he he kept busting my bubble every time because I, I kept, <laughs> you know, like Gideon, I, I kept putting, putting the fleece out and making it almost impossible. And he would demonstrate to me over and over again that he is the God of impossibilities. 
So, yeah, that's pretty much, that's a very abbreviated version <laughs> of how I came to be a pastor. Yeah. Well, with your mentioning that it's something you've never seen, you know, females at the pulpits, very reduced um, role in the church service. Growing up, was that just normal or did you have a sense that maybe something was off? Like, what was the kind of feeling as a little girl growing up, never seeing that example? I never even figured that there was something wrong with it because as far <clears throat> as I was concerned, um, that, that was the pres preser preserve of men. And so um, I was a questioning child. I was the child who would always ask why, why, why. But the, I was never interested in church. Like church yeah. was a place I used to go to to visit my friends, to hang out with my friends and catch up over the week. Um, and so... I was, I was, I was in the church, but I was not in Christ. If you get what I mean, yeah, yeah. It it was a social yeah. time, not a religious. It was time. a social time. Listen, um, especially <laughs> in my in my really early early days, I loved carrying kids. So I would be found in the mother's room and carrying everybody's baby. If there was a mother that wanted, uh, <laughs> wanted a break, I would be there with a friend of mine. Um, and we used to get into trouble. We used to get into lots of trouble for doing that because we were expected to be in the church, but we would often be at the back making noise, catching up and, you know, carrying everybody else's babies. Yep. <laughs> but it's it's funny because I would do very similar as well, just hanging out like with my adult friends and their babies. And I remember just chatting with my my friends and just walking the baby or, you know, you're just kind of following it in the foyer. and. I found that much more fun. <laughs> there you go. That's and that's exactly what it was. Um, <laughs> it was a lot better to do everything but be in church. But um, but I also thank God that I was there because um, it gave me. I would say I am the pastor that I am today, whatever that is. However, you know uh, that is this that could be described. I am the pastor today that understands the people that are in but who are around the church but not necessarily in the church and, and one of my my missions uh, my pastoral mission is to um get people to love god to the point where they want to be in christ um, because that's more important than being in church, if you ask me, because once, I mean, the other one is automatic. Um, yeah. 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 So th that's, that kind of informs my pastoral focus or pastoral um, mission, if you will. Yeah. So with this piece of, you never even thought about female leadership and all of a sudden you're called was there a moment when you clued in like, hey, I'm called to something that I've never seen before? So when you were being called and beginning your journey to being a pastor, what were there examples? Were there role models? Like, what did you have to look to? Or what did you figure out to look to as an example? Because, right, if you go from nothing to all of a sudden being the thing of a pastor, that's a pretty big transition. <laughs> no, tell me about it. Especially <laughs> when you factor in the fact that I was already a professional in a whole different field. 
Um, I was, yeah, I was a professional in a whole other field. um, And I was being groomed to take up positions in those fields. And so um, backtracking, everybody thought I was crazy, by the way. I I, I mean, I mean, yes, everybody thought I was crazy. I had lost my, my, you know, my ever loving, my, my mind. I had lost my mind. And so, um, for me, the way, the way it happened was that because I was curious about this thing that God, because God would not let me go. Um, he would not give me rest about it. And so I was searching, I was, um, attending, you know, elders conferences and uh, ministers conferences and leadership conferences. And at one time I had this one time I I had um, registered for this conference and I was supposed to go with my girlfriends and they all bailed at the last minute. And so I remember driving from uh, Jackson, Mississippi to Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee, I believe that's where it was, to Nashville. And that's a good two-hour drive, two, 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 four, between two and four hours. I can't remember very, it was a long time ago, <laughs> um, but it was a long drive. I, I want to say it was four hours. Um, and so on the drive there, I remember literally having a conversation with God and saying, listen, I don't know what I'm going to find, but by the time I come from here, you you have to give me peace. You have to make sure that I get what it is that I need because I, I can't live with this uncertainty and this, you know, this inner struggle and um, no peace. And I remember getting there and asking about it. That's when I met my first female pastor. Shout out to Pastor Julian Jones Campbell. Uh, I remember that when I met with her, it was a divine moment uh, because I had been asking the Lord for um, just some kind of confirmation that I was not crazy because I really did think I was crazy. I thought I was insane. I thought I was I was going into the deep end, um, as some do, if we are being honest. There's some people who um, end up being fanatical, and I was not going to be counted as one of those so i said lord if you want me i have to see i have to see some something you gotta come through for me and so we went and we had this conversation and we we spent a lot of time um talking i we spoke the whole night we cried we prayed and at least and i remember crying literally all the way back to jackson mississippi uh, because I could not believe that God had answered this prayer. But more importantly, it now began to dawn on me that it was, that this was actually God who was calling me and that I was not just um, crazy. Because, you know, because crazy we can deal with, you know. <laughs> you, you can deal with crazy. You cannot run away from God. You can run away no. from crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was that that was my first um, picture of a female pastor. At least that was the first idea that I had that I was not going out into the deep end, and that I was not making this up for myself. Funny story. At the very beginning, when I started sensing that God was calling me, I would attend camp meeting, and. Um, uh, shout out to South Central Conference, which was my home conference at that time. 
Um, and I remember because I was so active in church and I was so passionate about God. And I, I you know, this, uh, I remember one time this lady was like, oh my goodness, you're so good at what you do. You would make a great pastor's wife. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine. <laughs> let, uh, let me just say that um, that that ended up being a good couple of years of a lot of confusion for a lot of people, wow. including myself. <laughs> including myself. When you wanted to be the role. pastor. Yeah. I, I was supposed to be the pastor. But yeah. in my mind, that seemed a lot more plausible. That seemed more more within my reach because it was like, oh, now that I, you know, that sounds more like it because I, again, I had never seen a female pastor. So the idea that I was to be a pastor's wife was right. At, you know, I was like, yeah, God, we can work with that. <laughs> you know, I can be a great, you know, <laughs> pastor's wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, so with this, this discovery piece too, I was um, wondering what differences you found because you did training, you had these experiences in the United States, and now you're currently serving and working um, in Kenya. Like, did that did that enlighten any differences? Like, you came to the United States and saw Adventism in a new way, or you know, as the saying goes, you don't know the problems of your village until you leave. Did you come mm. back to Kenya and be like, wait a minute, this is backwards, or you know, you you started to see some of the things you hadn't seen as a little girl? I will, you know, I, I'm, I'm, that's a great question. I will have to say I'm so grateful to God that he took me out of the environment in which I was raised. I, I love the environment I was raised because it cre created a, a wonderful, strong foundation for me and my Adventist faith. However, I was a good Adventist, but I was not a good Christian. Yeah. Okay, and there's a great there's a great distinction between the two. I was a good Adventism Adventist. I was not a good um, Christian, and so I was I was very good at the lingo. I was very good at the at the doing. At you know, um, and what what taking me out of this environment did for me, and particularly. Um, in my walk with Christ is that it made me greatly dependent on Christ and not necessarily on, on church, right? It, it redefined because I think I had put a lot of my faith and my trust in humanity, in human beings and in, in, in the institution of Adventism to carry me into heaven. Um, yeah, you know, um, yeah, and w removing me out of this place gave me a sense of independence in thinking, it exposed me to different worldviews. Um, I was not monolithic in my thinking and in, in believing that everything is so one way. I've been. I, I guess the best way I can explain it is that while I was here, God was in this box and he was not allowed to leave that box. Okay. 
and because it was very it was very informed my relationship with god and uh, was informed through the lens of everything that I had been raised up with and as well meaning as the people who raised me they had only seen so much you know um i i i liken it to uh the story of the elephant the the is it the five blind men and the elephant yeah and each one of them you know is is touching the elephant from different directions in different parts of the elephant and they have a different description of what an elephant is based on their viewpoint from where they are touching the elephant so if someone is touching the leg of the elephant that's that's their world view that's as far as they can experience you know as far as they know about the elephant if someone is holding the trunk if someone's holding the tail if someone is holding the elephant's ear that's all they know that elephant to be the ear the trunk the tail the leg but until you come out of it and see a, a more wider an entire view which is why i think paul very um wonderfully says in 1 corinthians 13 that now we see in part yeah right um and that is why i am very careful i must admit never to be definitive about what about what i think god is because i am i am a creation and the creation can never fully define a creator right um yeah so i can never get into the mind of the lord that his ways are higher than my ways um and so i can i believe it is dangerous for us when we put god in that box and so for me getting out of kenya was a blessing because it allowed me to experience new things new expressions of faith that i was not used to it challenged me quite a bit i must admit um excuse me it challenged me quite a bit i must admit it it pushed me in how i viewed god and really got me to the place where i i it put me in constant awe of the mm. god that we serve rather than putting god in a box that i can pacify and you know yeah. be like oh how cute yeah now you know <laughs> have it all figured yeah. out <laughs> yeah god, god cannot be figured out and so he constantly surprises me so i must admit that i am now in a constant state of being surprised by god and i hope i never get to the place where i think i know god so well that he ceases to surprise me because i want to be in a position where his mercies are new to me every morning yeah um yes yes that's a long answer but <laughs> i agree it answers the question <laughs> no and I, i really i really appreciate that cuz we can get very settled into a certain way for sure whether it's um the certain culture of our community of our country whether it's the influences from around us it's very easy to say this is this and i think sometimes adventism we do that we're very headstrong denomination where 
we have the book of revelations figured out and mm. i growing up i i don't know how or when but i only ever remember knowing to avoid revelation seminars growing up because it was like I, that's when the crazy comes out <laughs> yeah and it must have been instilled in me as a very young baby or something i don't know maybe it's part of my dna but i just always remember those are the things you avoid you avoid you don't go to that sermon yes. you don't go Daniel to the seminars. Revelation. Yes. yeah yes yeah because you're going to see beasts and all that stuff and get nightmares yeah well and it's going to make no sense you're going to either be filled with dread which i think the bible is hopeful yes or you're going to be filled with pride because you know all the answer and the non-adventist is wrong and that's the part that just drives me insane like i went to christian universities but they're non-adventist and i'm at Mm -hmm. a seminary right currently but it's not adventist and the amount of humility and humbleness and joy that I've received. And then, like you said, when, when you go back to camp meetings or you back to your other church, your, your home church, you realize, dang, this is different now. And that, you know, building, bringing those pieces and even stepping back, being willing to step back and see the metaphorical elephant. Right. And I think that's a very important piece because obviously you had to traverse becoming a female pastor in a vacuum of what that means. And then not only that, we we know, and part of the the hope of this podcast is Adventism carries a heavy American, more European style of thinking. So I had Mm -hmm. wondered too, how do you, or not necessarily how, but even if you've seen, is there a European way you have to translate from or I should say a European or North American thing you have to translate or transcribe for your role in Kenya? Or do you find that Adventism is different? Like it started in a, you know, an American based way. We're both speaking English right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes. 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 So yes. do you have to do a cultural translation or um, what, what, what's that like? I've never been to Africa. So I'm very curious. Oh, well, um, first of all, I love what you said about as Adventists, sometimes we do think that we have it all figured out. We have the Daniel and the Revelation, all of it figured out. But when you look at our history as Adventists, the beauty of the Adventist message was that we never once got to the place, where, at least our forefathers, the Ellen Whites and the Joseph Bates and all the the founding, the foundings, um, the founding fathers and mothers of our faith never got to a place where they were settled. And that's why they always refer to it as an Adventist movement, right? So, and maybe for our listeners, they don't know, but Adventists came from a little Baptist, a little Catholicism, a little Armenianism. There's there's all of these elements of different faiths within even our fundamental beliefs. And that idea of we have not figured it out, we have lost it. We are now at the place where we feel like we know everything. 
And so for a place like now, Kenya, which is where I am, which is where I have been uh, for the last, it's going to be 10 years um, since I came back next year. It's going to be 10 years, which which is crazy to me because it doesn't feel like it's been that long, but I have been back about 10 years. Um, for a place like this place, the difference is that because I have had the, the I would say, privilege and the or blessing of, you know, studying about our 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 founding um, um our foundation as an adventist movement now i i look at things from a different lens and i can see i can point out things and say that is not biblical it's more you know more american or, or euro euro american influence um that is not biblical but it is more of a cultural preference that is not biblical. And, and yet we have elevated preferences and cultural, um, cultural leanings to the point of biblical um, standing when they have absolutely no biblical basis. But we will be, because again, we are a people that are, very, we pride ourselves in knowing everything. We never give ourselves that, the wiggle room to be wrong. And so it is hard to explain to someone that what they, the belief that they have held for so long is actually not biblical, but rather a preference, a cultural preference or a cultural leaning that is not even an African cultural preference, but rather it's something that has been co-opted from our colonial um, backgrounds. It's 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 a it's an uphill task because essentially you you are you are busting the bubble in which they have formed their identity yeah 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 it's so <laughs> it, it could be, and that's what i've said on previous episodes too is like we can always bash the older crowd and being like they won't give up their ways but i think like you mentioned there has to be a level of grace like if you've gone 60 70 years thinking this thing and all of a sudden this this new upshot pastor comes along and says actually that's wrong or that's not biblical. Like we have to give a lot of grace to, you know, time. To them, and, yes. Right. Like it, it, that would be a hard transition. Even if it's correct, even if it's the, it's, I, we got to give people grace in changing and, and, and growing if that happens. Cause some people have, can be very set. Like we've, you've mentioned, I know, therefore I am. And then mm. if you challenge what they know, then they become non-being and that causes a crisis. And I've seen yeah, that, that over is. and over. It's, and I think, like you say, you have to, I love how you mentioned, you can be Adventist, but very little Christian, very little Christ following. Mm. And I think that's part of the reason I went to non-Adventist university was to try to cultivate and realize, oh, I want to be a Christian opposed to just a mere Adventist. 
but we can confuse those two very easily and we can we yes, can see and, and I, there's this i'm sorry for cutting you off um, no it's fine there is this sense that uh, again and 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 you'll forgive you'll forgive me like one of the things that i i am starting to have I've, it's never bothered me but the more i i i read about or i should say the more i grow in my relationship with christ the, the more trouble i have with with labels like non-adventist right because how can we be a people that are mission minded but then isolationists in the process right we like yeah. to isolate ourselves we 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 have this this silos that we exist in and anyone that comes from outside of that silo ought to is seen as as a foreigner is seen as um as somebody to be weary of somebody to be distrusted to the point where we don't even like questions yeah about our faith and 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 one i don't know about you but one of the things i love about education is that the more you question the more you understand right you're not just you're not just regurgitating stuff that you've heard or or you've read or whatever it is but it's now it's personal <coughs> excuse me it's personal it's experiential it is it has seeped in much deeper when you have challenged it and wrestled with it and 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 um gotten to the point where you have literally butted heads with <laughs> with god you know with what you know or what you think you knew um and even as i speak i'm reminded of job and how you know he has spoken all these chapters and even his friends have you know taken um a front seat and telling him what is wrong and then when god comes into the the the, the equation it's like he busts everybody's bubble he's yeah. like you know and to the point where job says you know what yeah i, I thought i knew but i really did not know you know um and i believe that that is that is where we grow when we ask questions and we can never get to the place where we think we know everything even luke says um i there, there is so much more that i could have written about jesus but there's not enough room yeah you know uh anywhere that you know there's not enough room that could accommodate all the stuff that Jesus did he did so much more than what we just read about in the bible um so we cannot even confine ourselves to the bible because god is even bigger than that um so yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and i and i like i like that a lot we <clears throat> we have to see the bible as a way that brings us to a god that's much bigger the the point i sometimes bring out and it it causes people not to be too happy with me, but <laughs> I've pointed out a few times, like, you know, the Bible didn't come until after the fall of man. So it's kind of like the backup plan. Cause we didn't get it right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
Yes, but that's tech, you know, when we start to get technical, um, and, and that's why it's really important for us to understand that God speaks in different ways. The Bible is just one of those ways, right? Um, yeah, there are those that, you know, speak to God. Um, they, they've audibly heard God say to them things. And you you will be hard pressed to convince them that it was not God when they know in their heart that it was God speaking to them. God has, you know, has uh, providence through his providence um, sp speaks in so many ways. And so I, I suppose the, the posture that we constantly have to take is that Lord, whatever it is that you desire, you know, the posture of surrender, that we may plan and organize ourselves, but at the end of the day, God has a veto <laughs> vote and he can, he can come in and, and literally um, take, take over everything. And I think the more we stay in that space, then I can, then, the, the more we are in that place where we know that God takes veto, then it's okay for me if I come and worship you, worship with you, not worship you, but worship with you. And your expression of worship does not look like mine. Right? Because you're coming from a different background. You're coming from a different experience. Uh, I can make room in my in my mind for your form of worship, even when it does not look like me, like mine, because your experience with God does not look like mine. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> well, yes. We we can we can dive into that piece as because we all know that drums is evil and drums come from Africa. And that's what little boy, white Kevin was told growing up Mercy. is that they do their devil worship in Africa with the drums. Mm -hmm. I remember the, the, the story. Beat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're from Africa. So therefore, you know, we're just going to distill an entire continent and all the diversities into Africa opposed to its complexities. I, I remember the story growing up too of the tribal people in Central Africa playing the drums and this evil spirit snake came out of this one tree and they danced around it. And when they were done, this, this snake went and disappeared. And the, that was what I was told and why drums were evil. Mercy. And Mercy. thankfully I thought it was all crazy. And, you know, I grew up listening to hard rock because of my brother, but the, that's, the context of so many of the stories, right, is it's just that simple. Drums are evil. It's, and yeah. it's, it was almost always tied to Africa, too. Drums come from <laughs> Africa. And so, then and probably you, by people who had never been to Africa, they yeah, just heard of it. So, right? And yeah. it's these people that are wearing barely anything, they're yes. tribalistic, <laughs> they're simplistic. And we can't be like that. We're going to listen to classical violin music over here. Yes. And, and I even here, and even in Africa, we're going to look for a keyboard and a piano. We're going to get rid of all the, all, and an organ. 
and we're going to get rid of all the in the local musical instruments uh because they are not of god but yeah. this, this thing that has been passed down from god knows where in the form of a violin and a cello and uh you know a keyboard is more worshipful than our local in- musical instruments um yeah so that's even something that's there right there in Kenya is drums are evil and these things. Oh yes, oh yes, we were taught that. We were taught that. I mean, um I can I have and granted I have not been to many I've not been to all the churches, but I can almost say definitively that about 99% of the churches would not would have a problem with the drums they would have a problem with the drums. They would have a problem um, with guitars, even though we have stringed instruments that are local and indigenous to us. Uh, but we could, we could never, we could never um, use those instruments in church because somehow we have been conditioned and made to believe that those instruments, our indigenous instruments our local instruments are ungodly they are tantamount to whatever it is however we will use them at weddings we'll use them at funerals we'll use them <laughs> at other functions we just can't bring them into the ch- the house of god and so and, and i suppose i should i should also say that that's something that has has I am struggling with, I'm working through even now um, it is trying to figure out what it is that I know to be biblical and what it is that I know has been passed down through uh, a Euro-American lens, right? So getting down to the actual roots again asking the why why isn't this what is it you know where is it in the bible that says this is wrong and even then are you sure that we have interpreted that bible with the right context or are we just picking and choosing you know doing um linguistic gymnastics so that we can um prove a point or so that we can um keep the the cages that we have chosen to live in locked right so that nobody gets out of the cage you know yeah. everybody has to live within this the confines of these cages that we have built for ourselves and if you dare to challenge or you dare to unlock yourself or free yourself from those cages then hey you're a problem um but god has called us to freedom and there's a reason why Jesus was intentional about saying I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly and thus one of the sad parts of our 2023 adventism practice is that unfortunately a lot of us are still living under the pharisaical rules and regulations and mindsets when Jesus was very categorical about freeing 
the Pharisees and the spiritual leaders of his time so that we would experience true freedom in him, in Christ, um, so that we can have a right relationship with God. Um, because the pharisaical spiritual leader leader paradigm that was there in that age was very constraining and thus very limiting in the expression of love for a loving God. So it actually hindered how they, they related with God. And so I believe that, you know, history does repeat itself. And that's why Jesus was very intentional about the things that he did and the things that he said and to whom he did and said those things so that we in this year of the Lord 2023 would not fall into the same traps. And yet somehow we find ourselves in the same traps and holding on so tightly to the, those traps when he has come specifically to set us free. So is the Adventist church in Kenya where you're at there perpetuating some of these traps like you said you have your indigenous instruments in every other aspect of life but yet here in church you're still propagating that it's evil it's not in the house of the lord so is adventism part of the perpetual cycle of colonialism or can it be a vehicle to bring about change where hey we get to celebrate god in a kenyan way like what is that process of decolonization like um, for Adventism in Kenya? Um, Let me put this disclaimer first. I I say this with a lot of love and respect, and I do not mean it um, disparagingly, but we do. We do have a very strong colonial mindset in our Adventist practice here. And whenever someone challenges those mindsets, um, we, t- we, 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 we label them as heretics, we label them as um, bad Adventists, yeah. right? Um, we label them as, um, you, you know, uh, outsiders, people who are coming to corrupt, you know, the true um, old-time religion, right? Yeah. And and so the church system does, in fact, um, perpetuate a lot of this um, because any expression... People live within and operate within a certain cultural um, setting, cultural norms. So if the leaders that everybody looks up to are perpetuating those cultural norms, if they are the ones that are, when a young person comes and says, you know what, my parents have spent so much time um, teaching me how to play a musical instrument and I would love to play it. Um, and it is a stringed instrument. 
I mean, we could not, you know, we don't even bring those into the house of God. Um, percussion instruments, you know, they are very heavy in our cultural expressions. Um, I come from a Kisi tribe and we would have um, uh, like a percussion instrument that we'd place on our legs, right? Um, and, and you know, dance with it and it would make a lot of, kind of like a percussion instrument. Um, and that cannot be allowed in church. There is this idea that God, for God to be truly worshipped, we must be stoic, we must be stiff, we must be, you know, uh, expressionless, lest nope. we are... Nope. No lest we are, yeah, no emotions, lest we are confused for the Pentecostals. But what we don't oh. remember is that, listen, the, pen, the, the Pentecost was a, an incredible moment. And had it not been for the Pentecost, that we would, um, we would be, we would not have the ability to live, like there is strength in the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the, in the acting out and the living out of our Christian faith, right? And so when we dismiss the, the Pentecost as just an emotional event, then we have truly missed literally the greatest part of that, of that gift. Christ said, I, I, I go, but I live with you, you know, uh, do not leave until you know, I live with your comfort, comforter and greater things that I have done, you will do. And so if we are only writing off the Holy Spirit as an emotional experience, then what happens? How, how does that impact and how does that, what are the implications of that on our Christian walk today? If we can literally write off one essential part of the Holy Spirit, you know, the Godhead in the Holy Spirit um, as just emotions. So what, 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 where, where, <laughs> what, are, what, what are we saying? What are we saying about what, what, ha what went down in, in the Pentecost? Now, I'm not advocating for us, you know, running around and um, speaking in tongues, but hey, you know what? Folks do, did speak in tongues, so maybe there is something to that. And we need to um, leave room for God to do what he, he, he wants to do. Thanks again for listening to this episode of our podcast. As we end, I would like to acknowledge that these conversations are recorded on the ancestral and unceded territory of the Stolo Nation. With a big special thanks to our executive producer, Alexander Carpenter, our editor, Bryce Hallock, and to our creative team. We have Brittany May with logo design and Jared Jameson on audio. Also, a big shout out to our Spectrum friends over in New York City for their continued support of this program. Thanks.